Hello everyone, welcome to Sec Tools podcast by Infosec Campus. I am your host of the show Sanup Thomas. Today we have Steve Springett with us, uh author of Dependency Track, Dependency Check, a lot of other uh interesting projects in his profile. Welcome Steve. Thanks Sanup, glad to be here. Great. Um Steve, let's start with a little bit of flashback. How did you start into Infosec? Wow, that's uh that's a way back machine story. I actually got started in physical security, believe it or not, going back to the early early 90s. I was doing physical security and um I eventually ended up doing um some uh web development work um in early 93, 94, ran a web development shop and um we had some we had some customers at the time in around year 2000 or or so that were that were just starting to put some of their mainframes and what not on uh, on the internet scary thought right and uh security was always one of these things um and looking back the code i i wrote back at the time was was kind of cringe worthy but it really wasn't until like 20 uh, 2008 or so that i really stepped into the uh into the security role essentially doing security champions work and then finally you know uh leading up a security team at uh, one of my former employers so it's uh, it's definitely been a it's definitely been a a journey um and uh right now i am uh, i'm doing some software architecture work at uh, at service now i see interesting um you started way too early right um i mean considering now uh infosec is well not so unfamiliar subjects these days because um it's pretty much every security company or every technology companies kind of now demands um how was your um starting career in infosec in the beginning um especially when security was not that uh, spoken about yeah um you know like uh, he, he, there's a lot of commonalities between what it is uh, today versus what it is yet um you know a long time ago um you still have a lot of security as an afterthought right it's it's not actually baked into a lot of the the software engineering that organizations do but uh the folks coming into info and appsec today uh definitely have an advantage right because there's actually curriculum around these these topics uh that just didn't really it either didn't exist or i didn't know about it at the time um you had to kind of discover everything for yourself what's your uh, first contribution to um open source projects especially um you worked on dependency track or dependency check and also um scvs as well what was the 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 path of development yeah so i um i found out about dependency check before it was actually released actually i i reached out to dan cornell from denon group down in San Antonio and I'm like hey Dan um because I knew he was well connected I'm like hey I've got this problem I I I need to find all these vulnerable dependencies uh do you want to you know anything that that's out there that actually does this or should I create my own project and he's like you know you might want to take take a look at some of the work that Jeremy Long is doing um so I reached out to Jeremy and uh like obviously what I, what I saw and this was before before his initial uh uh presentation at Black Hat back in the day mm. and um and yeah dependency check was the first open source project that I contributed to and um you know being a developer for 20 plus years um 
I, uh, I had never contributed to open source before. And so the thought of, of other people judging my code was, was, was new to me. I, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to expect. And now, you know, it's, 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 you know, you, you, you move past the, uh, you pass, you move past that, you set up tools so you don't make stupid mistakes and you know, you, you push commits at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so that, that's where I am today. <laughs> but dependency check was the very first thing that, that I contributed to. Well, it's a very successful project as well. I mean, uh, in terms of uh, how many people actually using dependency even in enterprise. Um, world um, in comparison with other commercial tools, maybe knowing the third-party vulnerabilities are very crucial these days, especially when we are moving towards more agility in the development cycle. And we don't even know how many third-party libraries are in we use and how to track them down. What's the challenges that you have faced uh, while developing this? Yeah, so dependency check is is I, I classify dependency check both binary and manifest analysis, and does a fairly good job at, at tracking it down uh, via different types of evidence, right? Um, but that's just one way to 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 do to do your inventory, right? And there's commercial SCA solutions out there that do that. It turns out that inventory, an accurate inventory, is actually a hard problem to solve. Um, when you think about what SCA does. It's not designed to find an accurate inventory. It's designed to identify risk, and those are two completely different things. Um, so, an accurate inventory is is really really hard to find. And once you actually establish what that inventory is, then, in my opinion, you can perform more types of analysis on that. Like, you know, we've been talking for you know eight years about known vulnerabilities and keeping components up to date and uh, license issues and, and these types of things but there's so many many uh, other types of risk out there um, that many organizations just haven't begun begun to explore and you'll notice that a lot of my work whether it you know it started out in dependency check and um, I, I wanted to solve some problems that dependency check or any SCA solution isn't solving really today so that's why I started the dependency track project, which is something a little bit different. Um, I have the Cyclone DX software bill of material specification. And then finally, um, the OWASP application security verification standard. And I think, I think the verification standard, the, the software component verification standard is really, is really the thought process that I've gone through over the, like, the last eight, 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 eight or more years about thinking about the third-party components and all the different types of risk um, that can be associated with them and, and really widening the scope a bit, right? Um, you know, uh, and it's not just the third-party components, but it's also some of the first-party components that, you've, that you're creating. So it's, it's really not about known vulnerabilities and, um, license and it, it's really about assurance so um, I, I've been I've been trying to switch the narrative um, from whack-a-mole of you know I've got a vulnerability in a component to more of am I how 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 much confidence am I have do I have about what I'm actually producing is what I think I'm producing at the end right that's really what we're what we're after right and known vulnerabilities is is a subset of that 
So that's really where the software component verification standard comes in. And eventually, I would love for dependency track and some other tools to be able to answer some of the questions that dependence, uh, the, the uh, software component verification standard actually raises. And usually when we are doing, let's say, an application security uh, verifications or rather like application security testing, we check what libraries are being used and, uh, you know, we, we make um, specific findings uh, related to that. Um, how do you see, you know, in pen test world or, or SEA world, so dependency check has been adopted? You, you, you had that, um, if I can say, like a, maybe a little bit of fear of people judging your code when you're first releasing dependency check. And how did you how did you see the communities are actually you know responding to the first uh, initial versions of dependency check? Well, I didn't start dependency check, uh, so that was Jeremy Long. Okay. Um, so Jeremy is 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 he beat me to that punch. Right. Uh, but no, it's a very very successful project used by used by hundreds of thousands of organizations. It's just ridiculous how many people use it. Um, my project was a kind of a, um, a related project that's called dependency track and it, it's a it's a completely different approach to the problem right most actually all up until recently all solutions were essentially um, SCA so binary analysis manifest analysis um, I took a completely different approach back in 2013 that continues to this day and that's really the software bill of material approach right having an uh, you start off with an accurate inventory, and then based on that accurate inventory, then you are better equipped to analyze the problem. Um, but it wasn't until 2017 when the Cyclone DX project came to be that um, you know it really, really started taking off. And now it's it's really interesting because I, I created Cyclone DX. I saw the value in this in this um, kind of a universal useful for everybody type of software bill material with a security focus. I saw the benefit of doing that. So I intentionally made it not an OWASP project. I wanted to, to be decoupled from OWASP because um, I didn't want to necessarily see it as a as a specification for OWASP projects. And that's that's not what it was, right? I saw this being used in a much broader sense. And it actually is. And um, it's really interesting. Cyclone DX and is actually used to to track like medical devices, right? Software stacks on medical devices, or software stacks on uh, you know embedded um, consumer electronics, right? All kinds of things that are not your typical software supply chain. So it's used in a lot of really interesting ways. Um, dependency track is just one consumer of that, right? There's other consumers of that now too. So which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the Cyclone DX um, project is now more successful than the project it was initially created for, which I've actually succeeded in my goal, right? I of creating this thing that's that's universally uh, beneficial to the entire community. Dependency Track was the first project to to uh, obviously consume that, but it's not the only one. So it's it's been really really successful. Um, but you, I think you just. You, in terms of like the getting over your fear thing, um, I think that just comes with time, um, especially when you start looking at um, pull requests from others, right? It's, it's not uncommon for 
uh, folks to maybe not necessarily have experience with the programming language that your 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 project is written in to submit a pull request. So maybe you get a, a C or Python developer uh, committing Java code for the first time, or your Java code Java developer creating um, um, you know uh, Kotlin code or you know Ruby code or something for the first time. So you kind of get over your 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 um, you know, thing of wanting to, you know, not wanting your code to be judged, knowing that one, it, it will be judged. Um, there's always going to be people who say negative things about it. Um, but as long as it, uh, you know, has a certain level of quality, as long as it meets the, uh, the, the objective of, of, of the, you know, initial outcome, um, and obviously doesn't have any quality, including security defects in it, then you know judges can judge all they want, right? It, it's really about pushing the envelope forward, uh, making progress. You mentioned about the um, softer bill of materials. Um, how does it fit into the application world? So can you brief a bit more about the project? Yeah, so Cyclone DX is a little bit, um, first and foremost, it is a software bill of materials specification and standard. Um, we actually do have a very, um, um, quick standards process. Um, unlike most standards uh, that you know take a year, two or more, uh, Cyclone DX because it comes from the security world uh, actually have a risk-based approach to the standardization process. Uh, so our RFC period, for example, is two weeks. Um, so we are we we the project essentially values getting the majority of functionality out to the community who can use it to identify and reduce risk. Um, that is our number one goal. Um, so getting everybody at the table uh, for a year or two is nice, but it actually introduces more risk, right? So we, we typically do not take that approach. Um, but it's, it's one of these, it's one of these tool, it's one of these um, standards um, that is applicable in a software supply chain because you can create your bill of materials, right, uh, during your, your build process. But, and essentially the SE tools do educated guessing because a goal, uh, again, their, their goal is not to identify accurate inventory. So SCA tools essentially do binary analysis or manifest analysis. And their goal is to do, um, uh, identify risk, not necessarily an accurate inventory, although the inventory actually is part of that. But the goal is not to identify an accurate inventory, the accuracy part. And FBOM is essentially supposed to be an accurate inventory. You start out with an accurate inventory first. Um, so for modern build pipelines, what does this mean? It means that you can start off in your build pipeline, creating your SBOM, and throughout your pipeline, your pipeline itself can augment, can change the SBOM so that when you get to the end, you don't actually have to guess what the components are anymore. So for example, if I have um, Apache Tomcat in my environment, it's a runtime dependency, right? Um, I can add that because it's it's not in my build, right? But it's, it's part of what I deliver as a, as a deliverable. So I can add the Apache Tomcat to my SBOM during the pipeline. And if I've modified Apache Tomcat, maybe I've made a bunch of modifications that fix different security issues or maybe added some additional functionality, I can actually uh, mark that up in my SBOM as well so that you'll know that it's 
it's Apache Tomcat, but it's my modified version of it. it and these are the modifications that, that it has. So a modern build pipeline is really about producing accuracy and consistency of your bill of materials. What this means, however, for the um, for a lot of the uh, software community that is not modern, what this means is that you can also now, um, because these ecosystems typically use manual um, means of dependency management, this means that you can also author your SBOM as well. So if I want to author, say for example, I'm the maker of a uh, you know, an MRI machine, right, for use in hospitals. I can say that my three software stacks, you know, one of which is running XP embedded, um, that is just one component in my SBOM. And then I can, I can uh, mark up the, uh, the applications and, of course, the libraries that are, that are running on top of that. Um, so it's, it's, really, it's really full stack, whereas SCA is looking at just the application that I'm, I'm, um, I'm working on. Um, and that SBOM is, is really designed to be full stack. So everything from the, the OS, the firmware, um, device drivers, um, applications, libraries, um, the, the whole thing. Steve, you have seen the evolution of uh, application security for a very long time. The application development is changing drastically these days. Um, but this um, security changes are still happening, but maybe a little slower than we're still catching up uh, the agile uh, development model. What do you think about the uh, nature of security transition to the modern development philosophy? That is a great question. You know, there's a lot of security tools out there and um, the quality of the tools are, you know, all over the spectrum. But I also know from experience that the quality of tools matter and that every code base uh, will have patterns about what is potentially wrong with it. So systemic issues in code is nothing new. Um, likewise, systemic remediations, uh, so uh, embedded remediations that um, maybe are specific to that application that tools uh, will flag anyway, are also very common. So I think um, similar approaches in machine learning um, need to take place in the application security world uh, so that we are much more confident in having accurate and actionable results at the end of a typical, uh, at a typical pipeline. Because think about it, I mean, most security tools today, you can either do fast and accurate and at the same velocity of DevOps and knowingly miss basically the majority of your vulnerabilities, or you can do slow and inaccurate because you're really looking for to find the needle in the haystack, right? You're really looking for those, those things that um, the adversaries are going to eventually exploit. Um, and being able to find the middle ground where you're both at the same velocity as a DevOps pipeline, you're fast, but yet you're still able to accurately do complex data flows. Um, it really is going to take a lot of machine learning, I think. I, I just don't think that traditional static analysis and these type of tools are really equipped for the job. It's really going to take real-time machine learning to, uh, 
to make security in a DevOps world really possible. Yeah, the approach that you mentioned, um, class of vulnerabilities need to be remediated on the systemic level, um, has been implemented in multiple other organizations like a big giants like Microsoft or Google, for instance. Um, the way these people are um, approaching vulnerabilities are not traditional way, like they are not pinpoint like vulnerabilities like per individual uh, findings. They are literally looking at how do we remediate a class of vulnerabilities, like how do we um, remediate a, um, let's say an input validations bugs uh, or overflow bugs or you know any of that sort. Um, so I totally agree with the the comment that you made here. Approaching like having a systemic approach to remediate a finding that 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 thought process has to be changed both in the development um, team and the security team. So and I th- I also think that education um, is is also one of the things that we we have to constantly um, do in the security space as well. Right. Um, you know I, I came from a development background. And, uh, you know, 20 plus years as a developer before I moved into security. And I'm going to tell you that, you know, security is hard. Um, You're given given RFCs that are vulnerable by by design. You're given libraries that have, you know, vulnerabilities or that that have dangerous APIs. So it's really easy to shoot yourselves in the foot. You're given all this, uh, these language, even language specifications are just riddled with bad things that you can do to yourself. Um, and if you code by Stack Overflow, you are guaranteed to shoot yourself in the foot eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think education and just making security just another good engineering practice is really one of the best long-term things that we can potentially do. Um before we um, wrap up the session, Steve, um, as I mentioned earlier, you have seen a different evolution of security um, from start to end, uh, and it still continues to grow. Um, what's your um, comments, or recommendations, or advice to the new gen uh, InfoSec uh, candidates? You know, for, for people coming into the space, um, don't, uh, don't get dissuaded of you know there's a lot of there's a lot of talent in this space there's a lot of really great researchers there's a lot of really great application security people there's also a lot of room to grow right the infosec space is very wide you can definitely find your niche um i would recommend explore you know a lot of people come into the to, to the game wanting to be a pen tester but outside of outside of offensive work there's of other research work, and quite frankly, there's a, a really huge demand for defensive work, especially defensive programming techniques. There's just a lot of different ways that you can contribute to the InfoSec community as a whole. So um, don't necessarily get dissuaded, dissuaded about um, you know all of this really great research and stuff that you that you find. Um, also. Don't get um, you know. We, we always have a, a problem in the in the community about uh, oh I'm not as good as you know person X. Um, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Um, the the ultimate goal is none none of us in the infosec community. None of us want to see our CEO on the front page of the New York Times because of a massive breach. Right. That's what our job is. So as long as we are all marching toward that goal, um, we're all just doing the good work. Great. Uh, thank you, Steve, for sharing your wonderful experience. And uh, thanks uh, once again for 
giving a lot of interesting projects to infosec communities to make uh, our life more easy uh, so keep keep having those contributions we'll always look forward to that thanks Philip. appreciate you uh, the, the chat and uh, look forward to to some of your future chats thank you steve all right okay